drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. This is Drive-By Cinema. Paul, it's season four. And mm-hmm. what episode is it? 20, 20, 26, maybe? Yeah, no, that's where no. you're wrong. Oh. Now, despite the fact that we called last week's episode 25 twice, at the beginning and at the end... It wasn't. Last week's episode was, in fact, episode 26. Oh, hellfire. This is what we call a propagating error, isn't it? Exactly. It, it could easily have gone so wrong this week. Apollo missions could have been over. Yeah. This is episode 27. Hellfire. We're getting through them, aren't we? You'd think that we could operate... The most basic of mathematical operations. when it's more than my digits on my limbs. On your hands, of course. 20. That's the the failing, isn't it? Yeah. My friend, of course, has pterodactyly. What? Pterodactyly, as everybody knows, is when you have an extra... We've got webbed Webbed. flesh between... (laughs) You can fly. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Polydactyly, isn't it? Yes, my desk polydactyly, thank you. (laughs) So how many digits does she have? 20... One in total. Ooh, okay. That's a bit weird. I mean, you'd think they'd be symmetrical. That's not very accepting, Richard. That's a bit freak-shaming. I mean, it's lovely. I explained to my students why is polydactyly a dominant disease, if you like, or a dominant trait. So let's use normalcy instead of normal. So why is it a dominant abnormalcy? Any speculation on that? Why is it dominant? That's tricky. Well, because it's not harmful. And so it can propagate without carriers. Does that mean it's dominant? Well, I mean, presumably there must have been a recessive form of polydactyly too. There must have been a dominant form of cystic fibrosis at some point. But if cystic fibrosis is dominant, then the people that have it don't reproduce, do they? Because they all get it. It requires carriers. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So, so for a potent saying... illness, a potent illness must, by definition, over time become or choose to be recessive, if you like. So are you saying your friend, her mother or father, was polydactyly? Polydactyle. Both of them must have polydactyly. But are... So it's recessive. If both of them must have it, that's recessive. No, 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 not, sorry. It's, it's dominant. dominant. So one of them must have it, weirdly. And one of their parents must have had it. Well, it's very useful, you know, playing the piano. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, one of one of more learning listeners could come in with the kind of piano work that requires, that would benefit from a sixth <laughs> right finger. Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of composers wrote for exactly that circumstance. <laughs> yeah. huh. That's error number one, Paul. What? Terry the, the episode number. Oh, oh okay. Right, okay. Now, listener Adam, thank you. Thank Adam, you, Adam. He did point out, I know we were, we were a bit dismissive. Or, yeah, I know, we were talking shit all episode, but go on. Last week's episode, the Spanish container survival thriller, Nowhere. Nowhere. We were very sceptical of her ability to get cell phone reception in the middle of the ocean. Adam says no. No, he pointed out, I don't think he's really criticising us, but he is pointing out that when he was on the ferry, his Vodafone worked, because when you're on a passenger vessel these days... Just like the airplane, yeah. They do have, yeah, you can get cell phone signal coverage. They have microcells on the vessels, on the ships, and they've got a satellite uplink for the backhaul for Wi-Fi and cellular data as well. Oh, fire. Which ferry did he go on? I've not been on a ferry. I'd love to go on a North Sea ferry. Oh, brilliant, Adam. That's amazing. You've not lived unless you've had a beer whilst almost vomiting on a North Sea ferry, have you? <laughs> I think our parents lived better lives with their four cortinas in North Sea ferry holidays, didn't they? Than we did. <laughs> Braver, more honest lives. Okay. I mean, I don't think... <laughs> what, in his barrel? Yeah. 
at three o'clock oh. in the morning whilst chundering over a boat, nearly falling. Correction, against. it wasn't the North Sea, it was Hollyhead to Dublin. That's even better. And I have been on that route, and I experienced some extremely fierce weather. <sighs> Glorious. And they're quite Irish small sea. ferries that, that plough that route, aren't they? Oh, you give me something to do in my next holiday. I'm, I'm going on a... I'm going on a ferry tour of the UK. You're going to go to the Isle of Man? I'm going all over. I've gone to every single ferry that exists throughout our UK ports, Richards. Paul, it will glorious way be to awful. Travel. It will be but, awful. <laughs> if, it, if there were hovercrafts still around, I would choose the hovercraft. I mean, I can tell you some stories. I mean, I have done a few to the islands, to the Isle of Man, to Jersey, Guernsey. Yeah, I've, Richard, done, I've done a bit of that. Richard, with the hyperloy, he could go in his helicopter. I think we're there. I think that's all our corrections done it is, so yeah. far. Let's move on, shall we? I wanted to say something about Saltworm, but I probably forgot what I was going to say about it. No, no, please. No, no I've literally forgotten what I was going to say about it, so let's just move on. Oh, okay. Fine. Paul, then, let's listen to some music. Mm-hmm. Here we go. And there we are. Paul, what's the name of the movie this week? The name of this week's movie, episode 27 of series 4 of Drive-By Cinema, is Lil Joe. Or even Little Joe. I don't, I don't think it's Lil Joe. It's, it's Little Joe. Yeah, it would be a very precisely pronounced home county's accent, wouldn't it? Little, Little Joe. 2019. Internationally acclaimed debut, I think, from Jessica Howes. No, there we go. I don't think it's her debut. Oh, uh, maybe it's... I'm, I'm making that up, yeah. yeah. She's an Austrian director, isn't she? And she wrote this too, along with somebody else. So I think she's done some other stuff, but I think this okay. may be her first English language With film, you. Possibly. I swerved a correction for a future episode here. I don't know whether you know. Probably not, because you didn't listen or check the episode <laughs> numbers. But last week, I think I claimed that it starred... A ginger kid, didn't I? But I cut it out of the episode when I realised that it doesn't star a ginger kid. It stars a ginger scientist. Ginger scientist, yeah. Which, of course, speaking of recessive, her son isn't ginger, presumably. He's carrying all that, yeah. 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 So it stars Emily Beecham. She is playing Alice. Is that the name of the... It is. Her name is Alice. And she's been around. I mean, she's a fairly famous actress. Is that right? She's been in movies and she's been in TV. And she huh. looks a bit like, what's she called, Tilda Swinton? A bit like Tilda Swinton. She's giving off Tilda Swinton vibes for me, at least. Well, she is in this film, isn't it? Isn't she? The way they've uh, the way they've made her up and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Tilda Swinton vibes. Now, what kind of person is Alice, the character in this film? Whew. Right. Okay. We've said it's a salt bird. Was it coding for... A neurodivergence, <laughs> yeah, and a particular kind of non-productive neurodivergence among its mathmos and mathematicians and scientists. So, like again, we have to look at portrayal of scientists in this movie. I think, don't we? At some yes, point? we do. Yeah, look, it's a common problem, right? Movies, books, TV shows—they're usually written by people who probably didn't spend very long in their academic career in the sciences. <laughs> I'll tell you what. What we should have said about. Saltburn, actually, Paul, mm-hmm. is that in Saltburn, did we not use quite a lot of terminology that maybe not everyone is familiar with? We did, yeah. Like STEM, which stands for Science, Science Technology, Engineering and Medicine. No, not well, isn't it maths? 
Oh, the maths. Maybe it's maths. Well, it might yeah. be because I got to a big argument with my students who insisted that mathematics was science. And I said, no, mathematics is not a science. It is at best described as a language. And I said, well, what about STEM? It would be STE, wouldn't it? Adam and STE, not Adam, Adam and STEM. <laughs> if mathematics was part of science. But anyway. The other terminology we used in Saltburn was we cheerfully referred to Oxbridge, which is a portmanteau word of Oxford and Cambridge. Oxford Cambridge, yeah. Which I guess is the closest thing we have to Ivy League, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think 30 years ago you could comfortably say Oxford, Cambridge, Durham and St Andrews, potentially, possibly Bristol, were the UK's, if you like, Ivy League. Does that make sense? Yeah, I suppose so. But I, I think... Post-1990, all that changed, didn't it? What's the Russell Group, though? The Russell Group are like a group of universities that consider themselves to be the top 20 or 25 universities in the UK. But they don't include Cambridge and Oxford? They don't, no. Right. I, I think that, well, I, I, I think... So it's like they, Premier League and then First yeah. Division. No, I think they admit that Cambridge and Oxford have gone to the European Super League, okay? And they're not going to right. okay. uh, So... So I don't know which of the London colleges it includes, because, of course, London University is itself collegiate, like Oxford and Cambridge, but on a much more kind of... The colleges are much more universities within a university kind of thing. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's very weird. Uh, so I don't know which of those are included, because the quality of London University seems to go up and... Universities or colleges seems to go up and down at will, like SOAS, Oriental and African Studies, uh, or Asian Studies, African Studies. That thing has been up in the top 10, and it's now down at the bottom... 50 or so, so I don't know about that. But yeah, so the Russell Group is, has become, I think, the kind of nice University of the South that people who failed Oxford Cambridge would go to, like Bristol and Bath, and the old red bricks of the North that have now become maybe not serving their original customer base. Thank you for that. Diversion aside, what I was saying was most people who are writing films and TV, yes. they probably haven't spent a lot of their educational career in science, and so they have strange ideas sometimes, perhaps stereotypical ideas about what science and scientists are like. <laughs> Some right. of which might be fair. I, 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 Many of which may, may not be. I, I just thought that, I don't know who told us to play it like this, but it, it was almost like she was without emotion throughout the whole movie. Without affect. Without yeah. affect, yeah. Uh, yes, without affect rather than emotion. So there's no d- display of anything in, in internal emotional life, which... I don't know what was going on there, why they decided to do that. Well, the other thing is, she is a botanist of some kind, a geneticist, I guess, Mm -hmm. maybe more accurately. Her job is breeding houseplants. Yeah. Now, I don't know how many scientists are employed researching new houseplant designs in the world. I imagine it's not a large number. (laughs) I, I, I have no idea. Well, I mean, it's not particularly, it's not It's not something that's restricted to the upper echelons of biologists, is it? Anybody can splice and breed plant varieties. It's not difficult to get a new variety of daffodil from just growing daffodils next to each other, is it? Certainly, uh, it's a practice. Hybridisation and selective breeding is something that's been done without the aid of science for hundreds for of years. For a long time, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, why is the potato such a yielding crop? It, well, it's because, I think it's the Mayans. They hybridised it way before we started hybridising to the same extent. You know, there were some weird experiments done as well, where they were trying to get more varieties of, of crops. This is quite early, sort of, I guess, in the, the last century. It was after they discovered radi- radiation, though, mm-hmm. and they were exposing okay. plants and seeds to radioactivity. Yeah. 
just to generate genetic changes. Then they'd plant the seeds and see what came up. And if any useful kind of mutations occurred, they would then breed Wow. I don't know how successful it was, but... That's worth digging into, I think. A deep dive is... That's a worthwhile subject to, to, to look into. But you're right that these days, the state-of-the-art genetic manipulation can be basically done on a kitchen worktop, which is... You know, you know CRISPR? Uh-huh. It's a mechanism or it's a tool that they can use to basically do cut and paste. Splice and dice. It looks for a particular sequence in a genome and allows you to cut at that point. And then there's another Whoa. mechanism... I to stitch stuff back together. So if you know where you want to cut in the sequence, you can sort of program the chemistry to do that. I don't know how. And then pour another test tube in and it will re-splice something else in. So she's making a new houseplant. And there's only about seven people working in their rather extensive labs, which means there's a lot of opportunities for one person to work late and get locked in there, Okay, which happens, I think, three or four times in this movie. You think they kind of like have some sort of open from the indoor inside mechanism for when they get locked in. Anyway, so she's got a colleague called Bella, who's an older lady, who's kind of like more bumbling and less successful at her splicing and dicing job. Bella is trying to like create kind of like a extremophile kind of plant that's going to survive really, really harsh and varying conditions, but to no avail. They seem to work in teams, don't they? Yeah. These scientists. And it seems to be a commercial enterprise Mm -hmm. rather than an academic institution. Because obviously... Big houseplant has got all the R&D money that you need to develop brand new plants. They're not just ordinary houseplants, though. The idea is these plants make sense, which make people happy. It produces oxytocin, doesn't it, when it's in So it's a feedback loop. They've created a plant that, although requires huge amounts of attention, the more attention you give it, the more of its scent it releases, and it makes you satisfied and gives you a reward for having cared for it. But she says that you love this plant like your own child. Which is, of course, Cute. poignant. Introducing her child. Yes, because she has a child called Joe. Joe, not little Joe. We see them getting yo sushi. She always gets takeout. Uh, again, another aspect of her being a scientist is she's too busy to cook, of course. Oh, dear. So she gets uh, yo sushi. And so she lives in a London townhouse, in the kind of gentrified area. Because scientists, of, of course, can always afford... like Two a- million dollar house. <laughs> In Knightsbridge or wherever. Which isn't as nicely decorated as an expensive house like that would be, because she's a scientist. I've got to stop you there, though, because they're not actually in London, Paul. Oh, where are they? It's not clear at the beginning at all, and they never really refer to it. But later, when you see her driving, I think she's driving Joe around somewhere, you see the Liver building in the background. Liverpool? They're in Liverpool. Maybe they could have afforded that rather nice town. but probably still not. <laughs> anyway, the point is, she and little, not little Joe, she and Joe, her son, sit down for this uh, yo sushi at a very antiseptic kind of, in a very antiseptic kind of meal sitting, don't they? So there's an antiseptic nature to everything she does. And Joe is asking her, he's asking, Joe, her son, is asking her about this guy she works with. It's obvious that the husband is no longer in the picture. We learn that they're separated, don't we? Joe is like convincing or persuading her, encouraging her to see how it goes with this young scientist she works with. So he's encouraging a workplace romance, which I'm not sure is entirely appropriate, but there we go. She's probably his superior, isn't she, in fact? She mm-hmm. seems to be the boss in their little team. Yeah, she seems to be the technical boss of one of the teams, yeah. But it's obvious, though, that Joe feels a bit neglected, partly because she doesn't cook and gets yo, yo sushi all the time, and that she prefers her work to being a mother. Alice also goes to a therapist, doesn't she? We see her sitting in front of a therapist. 
she's saying that she fears about something happening to Joe. Mm. No, I'm going to jump forward. I really, in terms of post-Freudian psychoanalysis, okay, this therapist made that most annoying thing that these kind of therapists do. But she, she said, later on, she talks about maybe you're doing something because you want to abandon Joe and your brain's <laughs> telling you not to do it. So so you're imagining imagining not abandoning him. Whereas, I mean, you could, you could put, posit the opposite hypothesis. Maybe you're doing this because you either do or don't want to abandon Joe. I mean, I, I really, when it comes to psychoanalysis, I, I really don't understand how they decide the direction they're taking. <laughs> and when you ask them, it's, oh, it's because we've done years of training. <laughs> So I've never had an answer off them. How they decide if it's because you don't want to do it or you do want to do it. Because both of them in psychoanalysis either allow for wish fulfillment or wish suppression. So you can kind of like your brain can play tricks on you kind of thing. It's all very nebulous, isn't it? But we get nebulous psychiatry coming in here. I'm struck by any counselling that I've had. I don't think I've had any real psychotherapy. I've certainly been to a counsellor, but they never really suggest solutions. Well, they're not allowed to, are they, really? Oh, it's not, it's not their practice. They just kind of wait for you to come up with a solution <laughs> and then mildly encourage it. I don't know. <laughs> Not even that. <laughs> it sounds like, Paul, we're both pretty sceptical about talking therapy. It sounds like this film has triggered us already, doesn't it? <laughs> really, in many, <laughs> in many respects. Okay. On the other hand, for some mental health conditions, sometimes there are drugs, sometimes there are not effective drugs. And sometimes perhaps doing both is a good idea. I don't know. I don't want yeah, to suggest I, people I, stop going I, to their uh, therapy. Microdosing mushrooms seems to be the way forward. I mean, I mean these days, these days we've, we're so against self, self-medication, self aren't we? If we drink alcohol, then naturally we're alcohol abusers. But I think a lot of things can be solved with a couple of shots of whiskey, can't they? Let's be honest, this entire film is really asking this question, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I'm sure we'll come into it in a bit. But it's an allegory, really, about, about pharmaceuticals. Well, I do you find it powerful in some sort of way. Yeah, I guess it is. Or maybe it's 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 about the nature of... Or maybe it's about Rose tinting our experience so that we don't have to feel the cold turkey of reality. So not just maybe drug drugs, but maybe consumerism as a drug, potentially, even. But let's get into that, because we've got more to talk about the actual nuts and bolts of this plant she's created. It makes people happier if they care for it. But what happens to it? It suddenly starts to go awry, so to speak. Sunjo has got an ant farm, so he's obviously into looking yeah. after his ants and stuff. Have you ever had an ant farm? No. It was nails on blackboard for me. Like It's antiseptic, the home environment, and it's very emotionally insipid. They only ever speak passive-aggressively to each other. And she's very sort of put-your-shoes-in-line-by-the-door kind of mother, isn't she? And that's all sort of signify female scientist, isn't it, really? Quite appallingly. <laughs> and so, therefore, he's allowed his little airfix, or in his case, not airfix models, his little, his little boy interest, yeah, which is in the corner, which is anthills. I don't know <laughs> what kind of horrible upbringing the people that made this movie have had, but this was presented as normal, wasn't it, rather than significant, the way the mother and son interact. It's very strange. I've never cared for another living thing. I don't really trust myself to do so. So I've certainly oh, never had an ant. I had a Vedas flytrap, and I loved it. Oh, damn. See, I was going to get really onto that. I've, I've never it. even had a houseplant to care for. Oh, no. I had yucca, I had cacti, and then I moved on to Venus flytrap, and I love that little bugger. I, I was thinking the other day, there's only two houseplants I've ever briefly thought that I might want. Money tree. One of them was, one of them was a Venus flytrap. Yeah. I killed it, obviously, because I ah. put pens in to make it eat the pen, and, of course, when it does that, it can't open again for 16 days, and then 
It never opened again. Oh, no. Well, I was thinking, it'd be nice to have a little plant buddy who eats the flies and mosquitoes, especially the mosquitoes, that might hang around. But on the other hand, two things. Firstly, don't get that many flies, so probably it would die unless you fed it. And the last thing I want to have to do, spend some of my time feeding meat to a, a plant with tweezers. Did you ever fish as a child? No, I never fished. So you never kept maggots in the fridge? No, never. Ah, there no. you go. I presume most boys, girls these days maybe, have fished as a child. But obviously we've all forgotten to take the maggots out of the fridge. Yeah. And what happens to them? Well, then your mum opens the box and there's <laughs> thousands of flies in her kitchen. And then you get told you're not. Going fishing ever again. <laughs> Hasn't that happened to us all? No, it sounds horrific. It sounds like a, a scene of a low rent horror movie. <laughs> but the other thing that I thought about having a Venus flytrap, especially if you think it's going to feast on mosquitoes, and I do hate mosquitoes, but the last thing you want to do is to give a plant a taste of your blood. Oh, yeah. Because once they've got a taste of your blood, who knows what's going to happen? And I know you've had plants because. At uh, university, you used to have a little air plant that you kept on a deck chair made out of wooden clothes pegs. I did have an air plant. Your care ritual for that seemed to be occasionally you would just run it under the tap and then toss it back into its chair. (laughs) That's the kind of care ritual I could get behind for a plant. Because the other kind of plant I sort of thought I wanted until I looked into it was was a bonsai tree. Bonsai, wow, yeah. But they need care, apparently. You have to repot them and trim their roots and trim the tree itself. I don't know. that. None of that sounds appetising. And they need light and they have to be watered. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I couldn't do that, I don't think. Might as well just grow some marijuana at that point, yeah. So an air plant does look attractive from the point of view of keeping and looking after it. The thing is, I'm not quite sure what an air plant is or how they work. I'm not sure they're really from this earth. They look weird. Well, it was from Marks and Spencers. I remember buying it. (laughs) Still can't rule out an alien origin. How do they get their nutrients? Obviously, they make uh, themselves out of carbon dioxide like all plants. We understand that. I don't understand where they get the trace elements that are essential for life forms to exist on. It's not explicable, Paul. You never explained it to me. You just presented an air plant in your room like it was perfectly ordinary. I don't know. They get get their nutrients from the air, quite weirdly. But how? (laughs) That is almost unfathomable. Well, of course, I mean, most plants can't get nitrogen from the air, somewhat stupidly, despite the fact the air is 79% nitrogen. So I think what (laughs) most plants... They have to get clover to fix it, don't they, or something, yeah. What most plants need to synthesise protein is nitrogen, yeah. So I think with the nitrogen in the air, if they've got an ability to take that in, then, of course, they can grow pretty much anything they want to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure where you get the phosphorus from, or the potassium. Exactly, it's all mysterious. How the hell? Maybe they are potassium and phosphate-free plants. I don't know. We'll have to ask a biologist about this. Welcome so. to Botany Hour with Paul <laughs> and Rick. <laughs> now, what does she call this miraculous new love plant, Paul? Little Joe. So, again, it's weird. It's kind of replacing her son in a way, isn't it? It is. And there's a therapist a lot to say about this. But anyway, so it's not just one. She's she's grown a whole heaving kind of... No, no, no. No, that's not true. Oh. She's focused on little Joe. The other teams are growing the other the other kinds of plants. But doesn't she have a whole set of little Joes? Oh, yeah. She has many of the same 
Yes, sorry. Oh, you were talking plants yeah. about the plant species. Okay. Right, yeah. yeah and, but right. now they begin to aggressively pollinate. Is that not right? They're all very concerned, aren't they, about growing these things. They've got to keep yes. the greenhouse temperature and humidity just right because there's a flower show coming up at which they'll be lauded for their huge success in the houseplant world. I don't know. But only if they've made sure that they've used the right vector to splice the genes. Yeah, so they're using a viral vector. Or, no, they, they were told they couldn't use a viral vector. And an Irish boss says, be. it doesn't really seem to know that much about science, I have to say. I don't know how he's got the job. Uh, he says, are you sure you've <laughs> not used that band vector? And she says, yes, don't worry. I've not used the band vector to create little Joe. That's not the only area that they're quite cavalier about, is it? Because no. even though she's clearly a brilliant scientist at splicing these genes and, and engineering this plant, she just decides to take one home, doesn't she? She does. Uh, having said all that, they're dangerous and who knows what can happen, you know, <laughs> if they start to misbehave, she takes one home and gives it to her son, Joe. She seems cool about this because she assures everyone that they're sterile. They're not going to reproduce anyway. And yet, we do see... They begin to aggressively pollinate. A load of pollen, don't they? They think it's condensation, but they try and wiping it off and it turns out it's pollen from these creatures. And later on, as they start pollinating, they're sort of moving in the breeze or they've got some sort of motor mechanism, these little plants, to open up and pop open their pollen. I was hoping for a bit of Triffid action. It never actually arrived in this movie. Gotta say, I'm disappointed. It's about this time when the scientists are discussing breaching of protocols, viral vectors and sterile mm. plants. This is where Bella pipes up. Bella's batshit crazy, isn't she? I mean, She is a little bit crazy. She says something about every living being needs to reproduce to have a purpose. And Alice says, Alice supports us, oh, I think they're pollinating because I've made them sterile and it's a reaction to their sterility. So we, we, we've gone beyond Triffid here. We've gone to fucking hyper-intelligent plants, haven't we, that can change their DNA and their behaviour at will. I thought it was quite an offensive thing for Bella to say that of people who maybe don't reproduce. Either they don't, either they can't, or they don't want to have children. Does that mean that they no longer have a purpose? Yeah, I think Bella was the resident laboratory Catholic, wasn't she? <laughs> so there's always one, isn't there? Yeah. Bella has a dog that wears a neckerchief, which she brings to work all the time. I think it's like an it's emotional a, support dog. It's a nice it? dog. It's a Labrador of some sort, isn't it? Or a Labrador cross? I was a bit confused. She seems to call it Bello. Yeah, and she's she does. Bella. She's Bella. Is that... Right. So masculine, feminine. Okay. Yeah. Now, at what weird, point? <laughs> I mean, it's got to do with story, but at what point does the kabuki-style music start to this film, Richard? What's kabuki? Like the Japanese kind of screechy Yoko Ono music that plays for maybe fifty or sixty minutes of this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was going to just ask start you at some about... point. It never stops once it starts, does it? I was going to ask you about something in China, a word in China. Oh, a swear word. No, it's a game that has become popular among sort of the younger generations in China. What, a drinking game? No, it's... No. And all the Chinese drinking games. <laughs> Two Thank little you. bees fly to the flower, fly here, fly there, clap, 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 clap. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to think of it. Do you know basketball? Do you know the drinking game? Mrs. Mops, Fiddly Flops. What? Do you remember your drinking games, Richard? The British drinking games. Basketball. I never played that. Uh, what's that What's that one where you miss out the multiples of three and five? Fluffy Bunny? No. Yeah. Does he fuck? Oh, fuzzy, sorry, Fuzzy Duck. Oh, that's, well, the Chinese have got a, a huge variety of these things, so I know those kind of games, but go on. What kind of game are you talking about? No, it's... A video a game? Kind of, no, it's a sort of murder mystery game. Oh, well, it's the same as Lost in Space that we play on Jack in, Jack in, Jackbox games. Jubensha. 
Is that name ringing a bell? No, Werewolf. It's, the original game is Werewolf, but now it's what's it called when you play it in space on Jackbox games? No. What's it called? These are no. Yeah, I, I don't know. The one where you've got to suspect who's 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 the imposter on the on the ship. You're talking about social deduction games, yeah. Yeah, like but Werewolf. No, no. A, I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jubensha, which is apparently a kind of scripted murder mystery game where each player plays a role. There's always six players and there's always three men and three women. They have elaborate and often quite romantic, dramatic kind of developments and revelations. And the whole game is about sort of interacting with the other players and figuring out what secrets they hold. Apparently it's all the rage, but it's just starting to be cracked down on now. The evil eye of Sauron, the CCP, have now heard of it, that the youth are playing it. And they're now eradicating any non-party favourable themes from these With you. Well, they will do, you know, so I mean, to speak. If boys can't address effeminately, then why should they be able to play decadent games either? <laughs> no, but it's an interesting development of the whole murder mystery thing, which I think they got from sort of Western murder mystery games, but have then they've like really run with it. They can, yeah. They, th- they did the same with pizza. Jury and pizza. Trust me, you've not lived. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Sounds like you've not played one of these games, though, clearly. Yeah. After right. my time. I left there some years ago. So. Well, I think it's been going on quite a few years, but probably getting big recently. Because apparently there are, like, shops that pop up. Like, we have escape rooms. They Whoa. have adventure shops. Well, no, I mean, the Chinese are huge on escape rooms. They love them. It's exactly the same kind of vibe, I think, but a bit more... They also love... Well, I mean, VR's arrived at our homes now, but five, ten years ago, they loved VR in big way. Anyway, this is a diversion of grand proportions. It we should is. get back. So <laughs> she takes little Joe home, mm-hmm. one of little Joe. She gives it to a son to look after, doesn't she? And slowly, with somewhat harrowing music uh, suggesting, it, he's slightly changed by it, but not really perceptibly. Does that make sense? And the dog has gone missing. The in dog's the lab. gone missing pretty quickly. I don't know what all that is about. Her young, attractive scientist colleague, who's her subordinate, basically. What's his name? He's played by Ben Wishall. Chris. Anyway, Chris, that's he, right. He gets locked in, doesn't he, at some point? Well, I mean, Bella gets locked in. No. No, he no he goes in to, to look for the dog. The dog jumps up at him. Yeah, crazy. Like, it doesn't recognise him. Mm. He falls onto one of these red plants, one of these little Joe plants, disturbing the pollen. pollen. And he walks back, mysteriously kind of... What's the word? Blank and Subdued. calm. Zombified. Yes. Yeah. Then his behaviour really subtly changes to the accompaniment of scratchy Japanese violins because he later asks Alice out. She says yes, but he's much more forward and he tries to kiss her in the bar, doesn't he? He does, yeah. yeah. That's when they're talking a little bit about her ex as well, her husband, her ex-husband. And she tells him that her ex-husband is allergic to pollen, so probably she couldn't have brought her. Well, it's a sterile plant home. But maybe sterile plants make sterile pollen, I don't know. Anyway, I think he has trouble getting out of the lab. And the next day, Bella has trouble getting out of the lab, but then finds Bella. Okay, so they all get locked in late night. You'd think they'd have, like, a key on a ledge inside the greenhouse or whatever. But when Bella meets her dog, mm. it's aggressive toward her. Yeah, crazy. And she's suddenly convinced that that's not my dog. That is not my dog. We are forced to wonder whether Chris... It's Chris, of course. And therefore, if we're forced to wonder if Chris is Chris, is he telling the truth when he tells Alice that Bella had been severely mentally ill before and attempted suicide? And that's oh, why true, we should yeah. ignore what she's saying about her dog. Or is he already under the influence of the pollen? He says of her, actually, that she used to be one of the best plant breeders here, 
but she's not the same now she's on her medication after trying to kill herself. And again, this is really this entire film in a nutshell, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think this film is really about psychopharmaceuticals like antidepressants, ADHD kind of drugs, that kind of thing. Are you ever really you again once you've taken them? Yeah. They may make you happy or not sad. I don't mean to make depression sound as trivial as that. That's not at all what I mean. But, you know, they well, improve for the sake your of mood. Or... We'll, 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 we'll allow it, Richard. Thank you. But yes, people do sometimes voice that opinion, don't they? I'm not, I'm not myself on them or... But we weather yourself. This, I mean, this is the point. Mm. I'm not arguing about fundamentals or, obviously, I mean, like, electroconvulsive shock therapy can severely change who people are, their memories, that kind of thing. But I, I wouldn't suggest that taking strong pharmaceutical, psychoactive pharmaceuticals would fundamentally change your memory structure or, or, or what you're able to recall. I mean, obviously, it might change the framework and the lens through which you view your past and potentially your future. But so do experiences. I mean, experiences change us, don't they? So for me, it's kind of like, it, it, it's almost like a fundamentalist holding on to something that isn't fundamental about us. I'm inclined to agree. Yeah. I mean, we're all stimulus response machines mm-hmm. and free will is an illusion and stuff. You might think that you're making a decision, but I mean, particularly with debilitating depression, if you can't do anything, it's not because you're choosing to do that. It's it's a th- it's an organic imbalance. I think a lot of it, I mean, don't want to get too psychological about it, but is there a taint associated with mental illness for instance and therefore is there a taint associated with the drugs with the treatment yeah. the treatment and therefore is there a, like a virginal purity that we're hoping or a mental virgil, virgin virginal purity that we aspire to and that we value in, in society that we needlessly want to get back to and i think a lot of it's whole it's whole, trying to hold on to things that don't really exist isn't it this idea of oh i'm not that real person that i used to be it's some of the feeling i get about it I don't think other cultures see it in that way, to be honest with you. It's a particularly kind of Western view of things, isn't it? Now, young Joe has got a bit of a thing for a girl he knows, doesn't he, called Selma. And he proudly sends a picture of his ant farm to her. She calls him a nerd. So he has to up his game. And he goes to the highly experimental super plant that his mum has given him. And he takes a picture of that. And somehow, responding to Joe's amorous intentions... The flower kind of perks up and flowers, doesn't it? And it does, yeah. pollinates all over him <laughs> while he's smelling it. <laughs> so he's got a he's got a gulpful of the pollen too. Yes. I wonder if his behaviour is going to start changing subtly but noticeably. Well, it does. Uh, again, accompanied by scratching, somewhat harrowing music. When Mum gets home, he's quietly watching TV, isn't he? And he's not communicative when she tries to interact. And the next day, Bella has had her dog put down. She was insisting that that wasn't her dog. She comes to see Alice, and she's saying, you know, imagine something happening to Joe, and it isn't really him. The vet said that they couldn't find anything wrong with the dog. Apparently, they still put it down. I don't know. Do vets do that, if you just insist? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you can have your dog put down if you want. Wow, okay, that's dark. (laughs) My my friend in Hong Kong, she, she had a little miniature poodle. She took it to the vet. Just gave, trigger warning. Is this yeah. going to be about this a dog? This is going to be awful, yeah. And she loved it. She loved it. She really loved a dog like the miniature poodle. It was quite an annoying is dog. Is a miniature poodle like a, like a bonsai tree? Do you have to keep it in a it small is. box? It's something so it you can grow. break the ribs off quite accidentally, oh you know. If you stepped in the wrong direction. 
And they're so they're very intelligent poodles, but they're very sort of yappy and on wooden floors they're quite annoying. When you say they're very intelligent, what do you really mean? By that? I, I mean they're more intelligent than the dogs, but obviously <laughs> it's not a high bar. <laughs> Human IQ, I think they might hit fifteen potentially, maybe twenty. <laughs> Don't know. It's difficult because they're not prehensile, so they can't really do tasks in an IQ. They test. can't do an IQ test, the idiots. They can nudge they? it with their nose, kind of thing. But they're not they're not stupid dogs. I mean, compared to other dogs, they're not stupid. Anyway, she loved this little thing to bits. She took it to the vet, and, and he used the wrong drug and, and euthanized it. Oh instead my of god! Cure it. What? <laughs> and his response was, "Oh well, I've got one that's similar. Would you want that instead?" <laughs> we got another miniature poodle. How? Did that happen? Are Hong Kong vets not like fully trained professionals like they are in? I don't know. I mean, he just obviously put the wrong needle down, put it, picked it up. Easy, easily done, I guess, isn't it? It must happen all the time in hospitals, but we never get to find out about it. I guess hospitals don't normally have quantities of lethal injections kind of lying around, do they? <laughs> Maybe. Right, so they've all been infected apart from Alice. Well, no, Bella hasn't, but she's about to be, isn't she? She's about to be infected herself. Alice is discussing this with her therapist, isn't she? But she poo-poos this whole idea. She doesn't really believe Bella, I think. The therapist says maybe Bella is projecting. Maybe it's her that's changed, is that what she's saying? It's t- again, yeah. it's typical psychoanalysis stuff, isn't it? <laughs> maybe psychiatrist is, is actually well-planned. It's just supposed to be really fucking annoying. In this movie. <laughs> I don't know. Right, so Alice digs down and she goes to the report of the test subjects who've been tested with the pollen and their family members all report that they've all started strange acted strange and weird no after because initially she goes to see the allergen tests now the way they do the allergen tests again i'm sure this is very realistic but rather than doing bud tests or those prick tests that you do if you know what i mean where where they get the allergens Instead, they just interview the people, right. the child and the parent. I don't, know, I don't know why they're test subjects of children. There you go. Guess, guess they need the money, don't they? And they just have like a focus group style interview. What did you like about the plants? What are your experiences? And uh-huh. those are the allergen trials, aren't they? Right. And in the videos that she's seen, it seems that everything is fine. Hmm. Right. It's just later on we see that the videos have been edited by another of the science ah. team, who's obviously also drunk the Kool-Aid pollen, as it were. He edited right. them to make the whole it's thing look fine. But Alice is coming to believe Bella's suspicions. However, Bella gets, sn- gets some snuffy in her nose as well. And suddenly she's like, no, I was completely wrong what I said about the plants. I'm just paranoid due to my mental illness. So at no point really are we any doubt that the plants do do what they threaten to do, i.e. change our minds, and that everybody's been affected by it. There's no doubt really here is that watching the movie, is there? No, not really. Uh, I think really. we see pollen emanating from wavy flowers, don't we? And the insidious so, uh, effect. What are we watching for? I mean, what's the? it's not suspense, therefore, that we're watching for, is it? I only get this allegory, that it is really about... So it's just an allegory? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The film becomes about, yeah, sure, maybe these people are being changed, but they seem happy, and they seem happy. And so, I mean, there is this philosophical thought experiment thing that sometimes gets posed, isn't there, about suppose there is a drug, and you take it, and it makes you happy. Would you take it? Again, just as we were just saying before, some people think seem to think that there's something lacking in the authenticity of the experience, if you just mm-hmm. take a drug or push a button or something and it makes you happy. If you're from the outside, yeah. 
But internally, you would not know, would you? You'd just be happier. Mm. And so what's the problem? Just as you said before, what is this authenticity people are yearning or searching for or think they would be searching for? What would you be losing? Well, I mean, provided they were happy events were making us happy. But if we were enslaved and robbed of our possessions and we were still happy, we'd have to say, wait a minute, why isn't our misery grounding us in reality? So I think there's an extreme... There does become a point where, obviously, we don't need our happiness yet. And, of Um, course, the interesting thing about that answer to that question is a lot of people say that that's exactly the situation that we're in. And whatever that drug is, be that consumerism... Yeah, yeah, potentially, potentially, yeah. I mean, society does manufacture consent, to to paraphrase a very old philosopher about these ideas. But, I mean, I know his his ideas are out of fashion, but I I think although his ideas are out of fashion, the idea continues that society does kind of, if you like, not mind controls, but conspires to present a, a wallpapered world where we don't really see the plaster and the bricks yet. But at the same time, was life better in the past? I don't think it was, no, was it? No. The majority of it. I think so, objectively it couldn't have been, could it? Objectively it wasn't, was it? So So there's another allegorical level that this film might live on, because Dad takes Joe out, doesn't he? And they go fishing on Westwater somewhere, somewhere mm-hmm. clearly in the middle of nowhere. And he drops Joe back home in his Land Rover with a fish in a bucket. He talks very briefly with Alice outside, and he, he says he's noticed a change in Joe, because he was chatting like a dad might awkwardly, like a dad who's never seen his son for months, might chat with his son awkwardly about, have you got any girlfriends going, and stuff like that, and he, he's probably telling him about Selma or something. So it could also be about sort of coming of age, about the fear of a mother losing the child that she knew, that he's changed as a person. And in, in a sense, I guess, there's a lot of even Chris, her colleague, becomes sort of sexually interested in her after yes. he's been pollinated with the love flower. So there's a sense in which there's something like a fear of sexuality and possibly even predatory sexuality that Alice may be expressing. It's all a bit awkward, really, isn't it? Yeah. Or is it... I mean, this female science is coded, I think, for class as well, isn't she? So is it a fear? is it a fear of working class... Rumbustiousness. Is it a fear of the mob, even? Is it a fear of dancing to ecstasy? You know, <laughs> the idea that. Yeah, but that's not the, what the, the effect that the fire has down. on people, is it? It doesn't no. make people. It makes them secretive and kind of. Yeah. Scheming. Because. Scheming. Joe sneaks out of the house to meet Selma in the middle of the night after taking his mum's security badge. And where does he go? Well, they go to the laboratory, of course, because that's where a young teenage boy takes his girlfriend. Quite a trippy place to go, actually. Quite a cool location for a date, isn't it? For a trippy teenage date. They dodge the rotating security camera and they go into the greenhouse in the laboratory and all it's the flowers... cool. It's the bat rooms, isn't it? It's very cool for a teenage to head into the bat rooms. Instead of instead of motorway underpasses <laughs> and sort of sub- subway routes, yeah. I mean, the bat rooms of the laboratory. Really cool. The flowers bloom and pollinate while they're in there and, of course, the consequences that they end up having a snog, don't they? And the next day, the science team have clocked that something has happened and they're looking at all the camera footage. Although they say something about the footage was only really there for monitoring growth. So it wasn't really security, a security system. Although they do talk about industrial espionage because obviously in the horticultural world, people are always breaking into labs and stealing flowers. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, industrial espionage is a big thing in the flower growing community, Dallas. Or agricultural espionage, I guess. Bella thinks, now she's not been infected yet, by the way. Bella thinks that little Joe's infecting people in order to reproduce. 
she hands Alice a green USB drive, and on it is all the unedited footage of the allergen test interviews. Yeah, because Bella says, by the way, before when I said that I, I didn't believe what I said I believed, that was all a lie. I was just trying to fit in. I was pretending to have taken in the pollen like everybody else. Yeah. Watch this and let the truth reveal itself, Matt. Yeah, I mean, there are very strong invasion of the body snatchers themes here, aren't there? With everyone apparently behaving in a slightly weird way and you're desperate to fit in so that they don't think that you're not one of them. Not one of them, yeah, okay. Alice sneaks upstairs one evening, finds Joe in his room talking with Selma, and Selma introduces herself very confidently. Alice invites her to stay for dinner. Of course, it's a takeaway of some kind, isn't it? That's right, yeah. And she asks Joe about the key card which went missing. Joe starts talking about going away to live with his father. Gets up to leave angrily at some point, saying that this is pushing him away kind of thing. Struggles with his mum briefly, and there's a bit of a struggle, and she winds up falling over with a cut on her face. She watches the two of them looking after little Joe after that. And she also spots that the ant farm, all the ants have died. She asks Joe about it, and I think he says he can't take care of everything around here. Yeah, I don't like Joe as a kid. He's a bit bratty, wasn't he? Again, this bit, it just looks like a teenager acting out, doesn't it? Yeah. Losing his old interest, gaining a new interest. The flower represents love, teenage love for his new girlfriend. And it's supplanting his love for his mother, doesn't it, in a way? It's a figurative trope. I mean, flowers blooming can be pretty much interpreted many ways, can't they? So I, I don't know if she took advantage of this as this director, but it could be about just general transformative change, couldn't it? Or... or Stages of life change, adolescence and that kind of thing. Or other stuff too. I mean, I, I doubtless there is an allegory involved here, but I'm buggered if I knew which one it was. At one point, one of the scientists, Rick, yeah, there's a guy called Rick in this film, he leaves Bella with the codes for the greenhouse. And the oh, the French guy. Um, yeah, the French guy. Is, well, is he French or Austrian? Oh, Austrian. Anyway, he's left Bella with all the codes and the task of feeding the plants. But she's been trying to, like, freeze the plants and kill them all off, hasn't she? I think Chris <laughs> watered her at one point. She goes to the greenhouse, wears a mask. But while she's in the hothouse, pink lights come on and she tries to get out. But, of course, the door won't open. She's been locked in. Locked in again. I noticed, by the way, her mask was a simple disposable mask that we're all very yes. familiar with. Not, <laughs> very strange. not uh, you know, a proper respirator or an N94, even an N94, whatever it is, with the proper nose hole thing. As we know, the purpose of those kind of masks is not really to protect the wearer, but to protect the things around you from... From your sneezes and coughs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the wrong kind of mask for this purpose, isn't it? Not in any way sufficient for biohazard conditions. Anyway, she climbs up a shelf to open a window to try and escape, doesn't she? But we don't know whether she was fast enough. Maybe she got infected, maybe she didn't, we don't know. And that's when Bella is, the next morning, she's putting it all down to mental illness and dismissing the whole thing. Alice goes to her therapist again. She gets back home, she finds her son Joe, his girlfriend Selma and Chris, her colleague, strangely, are all chatting in the sitting room. And... Ah. Chris is saying, if anyone has changed around here, it's you. Alice confronts Joe and Selma about breaking into the greenhouse, doesn't she? Joe admits that they have inhaled the pollen, and it's their job to help little Joe. You're not one of us yet. And then they both burst out laughing like they were fooling with her. Right. Is the film trying to have it both ways here? Is it trying to... Are we Sort of, but at no point do we never not believe that the plants aren't doing this to people's minds. So I don't really see the point of that slight, of that slight false turn. 
On the other hand, maybe we're supposed to think all the events are imagined. Unreliable narrator through the eyes of Alice. So perhaps we're seeing it in her twisted way, maybe. Well, if that's the case, it's not really well presented, is it? There's an exchange where, where they discuss this philosophical problem. They actually feel happy, but it's not genuine happiness, somebody says. And mm-hmm. one of the scientists says, as long as they are happy, what does it matter? I think they send the plant for full gene sequencing, which you think they would have done quite early on, really, wouldn't you? Yeah, now, some of this is a bit shonky science. I can't remember what was shonky about it, but it wasn't really a convincing... This part of the, of the of what they were saying about the plant wasn't really, I don't think, convinced that anybody knows more than biology than, than I do, which isn't a lot. I don't know what they were saying. It was very strange. Bella finds her old dog's ball in amongst the plants, and she sort of weeps, remembering the dog. Well, she had it put down, didn't she? Possibly revealing herself, of course. And she announces in the cafeteria later that she didn't really inhale any of the pollen, and she's still herself. And you're all gone, you just don't know it. You just don't know it. You're no longer your real selves. And then she runs off. Shortly afterwards, we learn that she's fallen down the stairwell. It's fairly clear that she's been pushed, yeah. Well, again, we don't know that she's been... We don't see her be pushed, do we? But that's what Alice says. We do see Chris, Alice's paramour, sort of standing above, knowingly looking at a dead body. She certainly blames Chris, yeah. yeah. Mm. But Bella's not dead. She's actually in hospital fighting for her life. Although, I mean, she plays no further part in the story, Paul, so don't worry. They just mention that she's in hospital. Apparently, the results of all the tests mean that face masks no longer need to be worn but those are the allergen tests that are just the edited interviews so it's all a sham really so what we're saying is that well i mean one of the suggestions is that everybody's now working in cahoots their bodies have been snatched by these plants and now they're working to the greater hive aren't they a hive of people that support the propagation of of little joes and so they'll warp anything in order to achieve little joe's objectives of transmission alice is convinced now that she needs to do something she tries to kill all the little Joes by changing the greenhouse to low temperature, which will kill them, apparently. But Chris arrives, does a struggle, tries to get the key to the thermostat box off her, ends up hitting he knocks her. knocks the crap out of her, doesn't he? She winds up unconscious on the floor, and as he restores the heating, he removes her mask, and of course, the plants pollinate while this is happening. And then later, we see now Alice is back in her lab, and little Joe has been nominated for the European Herb and Health Award, and... They're all opening the champagne, aren't they, and toasting their success. And they'll be sold worldwide, like... Like like houseplants are, yeah. (laughs) Chris makes an apology to Alice, and she apologises back and gives him a kiss. And they order Vietnamese takeaway. She suggests that Joe can go on living with his dad in the the cottage in the middle of the Dales, wherever it is. Drops him off there. In the therapy, she confesses that there was no proof, no virus could be found that was causing any mental effects. Again, this is bad science, because even if you used a viral vector to infect a plant to change its DNA, it doesn't mean the virus is in the plant. And it certainly doesn't mean... Isn't that so? It's just so stressful. It certainly doesn't mean the virus would cross from plant to human. But anyway, there we go. But we see that the therapist's receptionist now has got a little Joe. I suppose we're given to think that Alice is now part of the little Joe plan, and she's now made sure that the therapist thinks it's all fine as well. I mean, why would it? I mean, but I mean, okay, the plant's going to take over the world. Yeah, through, that's a good through weird mind control. We're all zombies. Yeah, okay. We're all plant zombies. Yeah. We're all zombies. But I mean, why don't you just do this with airwicks? <laughs> plug in airwicks. I mean, like, it's just. Well, I so can silly, answer that question, Paul. How many plug in airwicks do you have? 
Three. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I don't have any. I mean, I mean, of course, no, I do have them. I sniff them all the time. Yeah, absolutely. All Hurley Airwick. I mean, so I think in the end, it's, it's fairly clear that the plants have taken over the world, Richard, or are about, or about to take over the world. What you're saying is there's no ambiguity left in this film. There's no ambiguity, no. And there never really was at any point in the movie. For me, there was no tension. There was no suspense. It was just a rather clinical examination of when people do morally strange things in a company that does science in a way that just didn't strike me as being real. I think it's asking the question, though, isn't it? That if if people are prepared to undergo this change in order to be Mm. happy, they're giving up their previous interests and now focused on a new interest. Mm -hmm. And that seems creepy to people. Well, people say, oh, be yourself. Don't try and be something you can't be. Don't try to be something you're not. Yeah. Which is a very strange thing to say because we all change. And we'll, I mean, then, but what if part of you is somebody that has dreams and wants to change? Isn't there an inherent contradiction between those two statements? Don't try to be something you're not. Yeah. And be yourself and have dreams, including dream, dreams of change. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't go with the fundamental idea that whatever you were just saying, you know, I think it is positive by the movie that if you give up on your previous interest then you've kind of given up on yourself i don't there you go paul is team pollen paul is a little joke let's score this film then paul why don't we i have to say i didn't like it at all you don't say no. <laughs> i didn't get waves I mean, of love pollen coming over from you <laughs> I, I mean it just i mean the science could have been so interesting here couldn't it yeah, but unfortunately, like us, the filmmaker doesn't know much about it. <laughs> no, they won't. Possibly a bit more than us, but not very much more. Do you know what I mean? It just didn't smack of having had the research done that it needed to, need, needed to be done to make this a convincing science fiction film. Compared to what it's obviously going to be compared to, like Invasion of Body Snatchers. This doesn't compare, does it? Well, it's very low-key, isn't it? It's very, like... Uh, <sighs> Emotionally sparse. Sunday evening TV movie style. It's also exceptionally slow and interspersed with just minutes and minutes of the most harrowingly awkward Japanese kabuki style music. It's slow, Paul. It's about plants growing. What do you expect? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a very famous movie, isn't there, about quince trees? No, please stop. We don't need that. We're going to review that sometime. No, we don't. No, we never, never seen that movie. Have you seen it? Uh, uh, yeah, I've seen it. I saw it at the cinema. I've seen it. Yeah, we should. Well, I think we were at the same showing, surely. Yeah. There can't have been that many showings. <laughs> and the Quince Trees on there. Yeah. Now, listen. Acting, Paul. What did you think? Oh, uh, not an easy task, was it, hey? No. I wouldn't like to have been Directed in this movie with this dialogue and having to make it work. They all just play the same kind of antiseptic scientists, apart from Bella who, like I say, is the resident Catholic in the atheist crowd kind of thing. What about uh, what about Carl with the moustache? He's a bit different. The Irish guy. Yeah, the Irish guy, yeah. The Irish boss. He is a bit different. He's like if a taxi driver <laughs> was mated with a CEO of a startup in San Francisco. <laughs> like he's, he's all go-getting, but he's all really ignorant with it as well, isn't he? You know, he's very... I don't know. I mean, what was he given to play there? I don't know. So what could you do with that? Despite the fact they tried very hard, I just the material itself didn't lend itself to good acting. Particularly the mother-son interactions. It was too much like they were both trying to speak as if they're in a Harry Potter movie. 
<laughs> oh, just so. I mean, it was achingly British middle class, wasn't it? At the same time, but with little or no insight. No, no I just didn't like the acting, so I'm going to give it a five. I'm sorry. That's quite harsh. It is harsh. I the liked... acting was good, but I don't think it translated into performance, unfortunately. I liked the <laughs> young actress playing his girlfriend, Selma. Who's okay, you convinced me there's some good bits. Six. I'm going to give it six, Frank. Jessie May Alonso. Obviously, she's quite young, but she has a, mm-hmm. a career ahead of her. And, um, so what are you going to score it, Rich? I'll, I'll give it a six also. Oh, okay. Plot. You go first, please. There were some interesting philosophical ideas here, right? If you're prepared to put aside, I think, some of the failings in the plot, which, as we've discussed, is that it's trying to... It makes a show of being ambiguous, doesn't it? Is she mad or who's crazy here? She's... But it's never really in doubt, is it? No, because we're seeing at all times like what is happening. We're seeing the flowers pollinate. And it's not just through her eyes. It's quite often when she's not looking, we're seeing mm. things. We're consequently forced to conclude that Fairly early on. flower pollen is making all these people do these things. Yeah. Now, look... You know, there is that thing about toxoplasmosis you get from cat shit that makes mice much braver so that they don't run away from cats. <laughs> That's incredible, isn't it? And that when people get infected with the same thing, they're also, they also test much higher on risk-taking measurements as well. Whoa. So, yeah, cat owners, yeah, I guess, are more accident-prone as a consequence of owning cats. That's crazy. And then there's the weird... Is it the fungus that invades insects' brains and ants and makes them go up to the top of blades of grass? Oh yes, 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 yes. And the 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 wasps that the yeah the ants that either live in a wasp head or whatever. But I think the wasp lays its eggs in the body of an insect, and then the its larvae go to the head or something. Yeah. You should have you should have directed this movie because you would have put that exposition in there when they were arguing. In in heated Hollywood style about whether this really was the virus to blame, <laughs> and we could have had an expert from the CIA come in and say all this sort of stuff. Do you know what I mean? If it was cast by Hollywood, this movie, and and followed dramatic norms, it's quite sparse, isn't it? This film, yeah, it, it's minimalist and very much. It's like, like a teacher that hands you out, that hands you out the A level sort of maths and says, "Okay, get on with it." <laughs> Yeah, there's not a dad joke at the beginning of the class. There's no PPT. There's nothing What's to help PPT? you. What's PPT? PowerPoint presentation. Oh, right. I see. Yeah. No. I should have known it's that. It's just nuts and bolts, isn't it? It's bland. Yes. Yeah. For plot, I'm going to go five. Four. Four. And I'm not going to change that. Okay. Not sure what we do for the next category. Oh, how about satisfying incidental music? It didn't scar me as much as it obviously did you, Paul. Oh, I've got to Richard, say. it was fucking painful. But I didn't come away with it with a, a, a piece of music that needs to go on the playlist. So, yeah, clearly. I think on. we just have to score overall, Richard, because I'm hard pushed to... Because it literally did not explore the science in any way, did it? It didn't saying, make like, you salivate. Yeah. It didn't, it, it didn't say, let's graft some plants, and by the way, this is how we do it. We're splicing with some, with some viral vectors. Well, it did. That's all it said, actually. And there's some point where, like, three quarters away, three quarters away through, where they're debating about how to study the effects of, of it, and it's just kind of tosh. So it's not terrible, though. Look, I think this is a perfect, it's believable. It's a perfectly serviceable room temperature glass of tap water. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to give it a five. Overall? Overall, five. I've not done this for a while, but I'm sorry. It's not making the half. It's not getting to the top of the hill and rolling back down. It's only going to get a four from me, Richard. So for you, it's God, definitely I, a not recommend. I can't recommend this. No, I'm sorry. I'd, I'd like to because it's full of ideas, but no. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't go out of your way to see it. I found it painful. But if it's on, uh, sure. Maybe you're on a plane and it's one of the the only movies that you haven't seen. Yeah, fine. At Cannes, it won the award for Best Actress. So. Presumably for Emily, I imagine. Emily, yeah. yeah. Great acting, but it didn't, it didn't resolve itself into performance because she didn't have the material to work with there, I don't think. I have a nasty feeling that you have a terrible surprise for me for the movie for next week. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a Chinese movie, so let's let's do away with any kind of voting democracy. Is that okay, Richard? If uh, we're doing a Chinese movie, you do you understand we're going to have to talk about the piano incident next week? The what incident? The guy playing the piano who was approached by a group of Chinese... Oh, of course, yeah. Okay. And what's the film called, then? The film is called An Elephant Sitting Still. It sounds action-packed and... A thrilling <laughs> it's a heavyweight. Okay. And it's a heavyweight for many reasons, but it does have a rather long run time. So if anybody's going to watch it along with us, do set aside maybe an hour more than you normally would do for a movie. I'm going to resurrect our catchphrase, Paul, watching the movie so you don't have to. So an elephant <laughs> sitting still will be next week's yes. movie. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Do join us next time. Ciao for that. Thank you.